Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Today is Friday, September 24th, 2021. Uh, we've got a brand new episode for you today. My name is Mike Gwynn. I'm one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this usually weekly radio program. I'm joined in studio this morning by Cops Bureau Commander Gary Traversa, who's working the soundboard. Good morning, Lieutenant. Morning, Chief. And we have morning, uh, everybody. two special guests joining us this morning as well. We're going to start with a check of the weather and talk about a couple news items, and then we'll come back and get into the program. I'm going to apologize ahead of time. We're having a little technical difficulty with the uh, audio playback here in the studio, so uh, if we lose track of the show, it's, it's due to that. But let's get a check of the weather first. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Flash flood watch in effect until noon EDT today. Today, showers this morning, then partly sunny with a chance of showers with a slight chance of thunderstorms this afternoon. Highs in the upper 60s. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain near 100%. Tonight, partly cloudy. Cooler with lows in the upper 40s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour, becoming northwest after midnight. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. All right, we're back. That was a little, uh, little tricky. No power to the uh, playback mixer. We're good now. Levels are set. Volume is good. Um, good eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like we know what's going on in here. We're getting there. Uh, let's start with a couple news articles. Uh, I think probably the one that we need to lead off with, it's uh, police department related. Um, uh, you can see the story based on our media release in today's Berkshire Eagle. Uh, we respond, so the headline is, Man Shot and Armed Home Invasion. This was a, a report that the department received on Wednesday night on Mohawk Street. It's still under investigation. Uh, Serious but non-fatal gunshot wound to one victim, and um, we're still looking for the suspects. And the only thing about this one that, you know, other than the fact that it's it's timely and relevant to the police department, I just want to kind of parse out a little bit. Uh, I, and it's it's not on the it's not on the it's not on the newspaper at all because that that was literally what was stated in the media release. This is a pet peeve of mine. It, armed home invasion is like um, repetitive. You have to be armed to commit a home invasion. Um, it's just one of those little nuances in Massachusetts general law that it, if the subject is not armed, it's not actually a home invasion. It's like a B&E nighttime felony or armed assault in a dwelling. Um, just a little pet peeve of mine. Flashbacks to criminal law when I was at the academy and getting hammered on that stuff. In other interesting news, uh, Mass Mocha announced yesterday that they have a new executive director, uh, Christy Edmonds, who is currently with the UCLA Center for Art and Perform- of Performance, is coming east to work out here. And um, welcome to the Berkshires. She'll be here next month sometime. I'm going to talk about this story because it does have a slight tie to the Pittsfield Police Department. I just found this fascinating. Uh, apparently, Dalton Town Hall is scheduled for a massive renovation, um, but they've had to delay because there's bats in the belfry 
and I don't mean that in like a facetious way, like you know somebody's uh, acting a little off the wall. They they literally found a small. I don't. I can't say if it's a colony. They don't know if there's enough to be classified as a colony. Uh, but not only are there bats up there that can only be removed during certain months of the year, so they have to delay the start of the project until they can remove the bats. But the building is contaminated with bat guano. Just when I thought I've heard about all the complaints you can get with asbestos or lead or all that stuff, now we've got the bat guano health issues. And the reason I want to talk about this one is um, my friend and classmate, Sergeant Mark Strout, is a select person. So, Mark, do the right thing, take care of your people, get rid of the bat stuff. And uh, his wife is also my friend and fellow chief, Chief Deanna Strout. I thought we had problems, but we don't have that problem as far as we know. Um, other interesting news article, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this one, is that um, world-renowned photographer Gregory Crutzen is working in the city again. And you might say, well, why is that related to the police department? Well, those shoots are traffic intensive and um, security intensive. And as a result, um, we, we, the PPD, under the able leadership of Captain Mike Grady have been uh, spending an inordinate amount of time um, scheduling and planning and detailing those shoots and we'll be doing it through the conclusion of the the photo shoots and the operation and you know it's it's great for the city but again people don't think about this stuff you come to town and you're gonna do a large-scale special event photo shoot film a movie we got one of those going on in the city right now too that has an impact on the police department we have to support those and I think that's probably enough of the news articles. So let's uh, get to the program and introduce our guests. Lieutenant, who should I introduce first? The good-looking one. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to put me on the spot here. That's easy. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. It's yeah. all right. It's all um, right. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not. Hey, can you come here? Come here, boy. Come here. He likes to lay down on the job. So our listeners can't can't see, but our viewers on television can. I'm only going to hold him up for a second because he does like to lay down on the job. This week, the Pittsfield Police Department is very excited to announce that uh, we have started the socialization portion of the training for our department's newest member, Comfort Dog Officer Winston. So this is Winston. If you're watching on PCTV, you can see him. For the listeners and view, or for the listeners, you're just going to have to take my word for it. He's adorable. That's for sure. And, uh, okay, good boy. I think he knows he's on camera. He's good just boy. frozen. He, just, he did. He just sat there. <laughs> so um, Winston has been uh, coming in, uh, not every day this week, almost every day this week. And he's been either spending some time with me, going around, visiting offices in the PPD, or yesterday visiting some offices in City Hall. And when he's not with me, he's with his handler, Officer Derby, who in his capacity as our safety officer, is helping with his socialization. And uh, Officer Derby has been conducting some school visits, and he has been doing some business visits, and he's also been out there integrating with um, some of our community partners. For example, yesterday they were at the Humane Society. And so, okay, just sit right there. I don't need to move my chair back. <laughs> um, but so Officer Winston has to go through socialization first, and then once he goes through socialization, he'll start his obedience and then once he finishes obedience, we can get him uh, we can get him rolled into his actual 
therapy dog certification program but in the meantime he uh we have to get him out in the in the community so if you see him with officer derby or i you know by all means you can come approach us and depending on what the circumstances and where we are and what the crowd is you know if it's young young children we may ask um, not to pet him because he's he's still a puppy and he gets startled easily but for the most part he's the chillest dog i've i've ever known he just likes to uh, lie down and just if you approach him calmly and just sit there and stroke he has the softest puppy fur that's what people keep saying over yes. and over again yes so he's he's actually got a really good head start in the obedience part yeah he's he, doing really well darren came in the other day and told him to sit and he sat oh yeah he, <laughs> he, he sit he's got sit down um we're working on paw to see if we can get him to shake and uh, the whole lay down thing that that's just his default setting <laughs> <laughs> just boom you can't see him right now but he's literally sprawled like right underneath my chair I, i'm gonna run over his tail if i move um so officer winston canine officer and he's not canine comfort dog officer winston is um was named at the suggestion of uh, sergeant strout after um the late lieutenant michael winston um we thought that was an appropriate appropriate way to memorialize mike we checked with um mike's family first and they were on board with it so um we're happy to welcome him aboard we look forward to introducing him to the wider community and uh you'll see him out and about with officer derby and i okay winston you can relax now (laughs) all right so also joining us in studio this morning is mr eric lamoureux from the pittsfield public school district welcome eric good morning thanks for having me you're quite welcome. Thanks for being here. You know what, Eric? I, I'm not even going to attempt. I can't actually remember what your specific title is. It changes and evolves on a continuous basis. Yes. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Over the last few years, it what, has. What is it today? So uh, currently this year, I am the district emergency and safety coordinator. Last year, they had health in there. I still <laughs> deal with a lot of the health stuff, but the official title is emergency and safety coordinator. So... Eric and I go way back, maybe maybe before I was the chief. Yeah. About, yeah. I think, 16 yeah. years. Yeah, so definitely before I was the chief. Uh, and I think we met when you were at Conti. Yes. Right. So yeah. my, my grandson was a student at Conti, and are you the vice principal? I was I mean, second grade teacher. Second grade teacher. Yes. <laughs> um, you've come a long way in 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, I think one of the first times, I think one of the first times you and I had to have an interaction, my grandson actually got into a little altercation on the playground. <laughs> I took that call. It's like, yeah, yeah. That's a, well, did he at least warn him first? Yeah. We'll, I'm sure it was minor. He was a good kid. We won't he was get a good into, kid. We won't get into the details of that one. Uh, but in your current role, we've been spending a lot of virtual time together um, because the district is represented on the city's COVID response task force. And that's a role that, um, you know, is technically assigned to the superintendent, but obviously the superintendent is very busy. So it's often um, filled by you in that role, particularly because of the health concerns around keeping COVID out of, out of the school population. And, uh, you know, every workplace has as their dilemmas with how they put those protocols together but the school district i'm not going to say it's completely unique but it's fairly unique because you have essentially two distinct populations you have the student population 
which you have some degree of disciplinary authority over. Yep. And then you've got the faculty and staff, which includes a bunch of contractors, which you have a little yes. less, little less control over. So um, that that you guys have, we had the after action review for last year's response, and you know, kudos to the district. You guys stepped up in amazing ways. Yeah, we had we had a lot of support. Um, the students did an amazing job last year. They've started off really well this year following protocols. Staff has done an amazing job uh, really doing a complete 180 and having to bring everything virtual for, for last year. And, um, you know, they're thrilled to be in person this year. We hope not to have to go back to virtual at any, at any point um, this year. But everybody's come together. Um, a lot of changes to, to protocols and policies and spacing and distancing and trying to fit everybody into all the places um but we're off to a good start this year all right sorry about that winston i don't want to run over your tail here buddy you just gotta <laughs> i'm literally sitting at like one corner of this chair so he he doesn't get disturbed that's all right just make yourself at home um so kind of explain for our listeners what the district safety cord emergency and safety coordinators role is so it's, I guess it changes lately. It lately it changes with, uh, with the week or the month. Um, it's it's much more health related to st to start off the year as we get policies into place and supplies to schools. Um, but ultimately, it's to work around safety and emergency needs, and work in conjunction with the police department, the fire department, um, the city, doing safety drills working on fire drills, um, active intruder drills in the building. Um, I've been working closely with Lieutenant Dolly as far as our crossing guards go and making sure that they are, they are in place. Um, we've worked um, with the city and with the police department on our school resource officers in our secondary schools, so we work closely around that. Um, and that's ultimately, you know, when I was hired um, three years ago, that was supposed to be the focus is, is those areas. Right. And it's shifted a little bit the last year and a half or so to those things along with COVID safety. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've got a global pandemic. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, and I not that I don't like dealing with that on a daily basis, but it's a lot. COVID has been a lot lately. And I'm I'm hoping to be able to get back to that emergency and safety side of things soon. So. We've spent a lot of time on this program over the last year and a half talking about responses to the pandemic. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on that today, but it, I don't think it's it's fair to ignore it completely. So um, we'll, work, we'll work backwards chronologically and we'll kind of cover the, the pandemic stuff. So it technically, I mean, we'll, we'll work backwards as far as events. So the pandemic hits and obviously, you know, everything shuts down and as difficult as that was, in many respects, just the complete shutdown was the easiest part of the whole thing, right? It's, you know, it's essentially extended snow days, right? Nobody's mm -hmm. coming. But it can't, you can't sustain it. It can't last. Right. So you've got two, well, really, you had two immediate priorities. One is, how do we educate the students if they can't come back to the buildings? Yep. And then it, it was quickly realized, basically by the district, how do we feed the students who, yes. in many cases, rely on the, the meals that they have at school 
as a as a primary source of their sustenance right um and so those were two big lifts right away right how to pivot to remote learning um, particularly in neighborhoods and communities and families that are under-resourced and may not, you know, you, you were rolling out hot spots and yep. tough books and, um, you know, there was all kinds of stuff with the tech. Uh, and I'd like to, you know, cre- again, credit where credit is due. The district was incredibly quick, nimble with that. Um, you know, they, they, I think most of the students who needed assistance had it in very short order. Yeah, it was, as yeah. long as the supplies came in, we yeah. were getting them in hands of families and students as they a, as, as they, they came in. They were without within twenty four hours, they were getting out for the most part. Right. And parallel to that, simultaneous to that, um, you got to figure again. You got to figure out how are we going to feed or make food available to these students and their families, and that was not necessarily something that the district was experienced in or prepared prepared for. No. You, the, the district essentially became a logistical branch of a large-scale emergency. Um, and again, you know, full credit where credit is due. A lot of this stuff was, was only possible because of the dedication and commitment of your staff. Because that certainly was not in their job description or within the scope of their collective bargaining agreements. No, no. So March, March 13th of 2020, that was the official shutdown and it was going to be for two weeks right. uh superintendent mccandless at the time was one of the first to make that decision yeah. even before the state yeah. came out and did it two weeks to flatten the curve yes yes <laughs> and then you know pretty quick into that first week it was realized things probably aren't coming back in the next week so the plan got put in place Silvana Bryan, our our food director and um the superintendent and the deputy superintendent who's current Ooh. superintendent joe curtis really got together quick, Kristen Banky, our assistant superintendent of business and finance, and said, what are we going to do around all these families that are used to getting breakfast and lunch every single day at school that's free for all of our Pittsfield Public School students? Um, And they coordinated with bus operations, and we had bus drivers and bus monitors driving to schools to pick up coolers and bags of lunches and bringing them to certain spots around the city. And then within a week of of doing that, it was realized that wasn't enough spots. Right. We were still missing spots in the city, and they expanded to a total of, of eight spots. And then the Berkshire United Way said, well, what can we do to help? And we said, well, we can do Monday to Friday, but now they're missing out on the weekends. And then the Berkshire United Way jumped in um, and started doing meal deliveries um, and distribution on the weekends right. as well. And, you know, shout out to the Berkshire United Way. Um, you know, proud former member of their board and a current volunteer and they are always right there ready to leap in uh, regardless of what the crisis is they're always right there so thank you to them um so little known tidbit from around this same period of time probably didn't get as much uh attention as it should have at around the same time you were pivoting to go to remote learning and food distribution I was pivoting to figure out what we were going to do with procurement of personal protective equipment, PPE, mm-hmm. particularly for our first responders. And since everything was shut down, and I think it may have been you who made the call. It was either you or Kristen. We realized that since school was shut down, the Allied Health Program had PPE in the labs. Yes. And between the Pittsfield Public School Allied Health Programs and the BCC Nursing Program, we we essentially um, commandeered 
uh, a fairly good size of gloves and masks and isolation gowns and eye protection. And it wasn't massive, but it certainly was enough to tie us over until we could build some uh, new supply chains. And so one of the very first things my staff did when um, we moved over to Second Street is we went and we cleaned out the labs at uh, Taconic and Berkshire Community College and put that stuff in the Second Street EOC for distribution to first responders and it, it did it, it was like the the bridge we needed to get us until we could actually get stuff coming in from the Commonwealth so we're very grateful for that thank you yeah you're welcome we were getting ready to demobilize Second Street and return that stuff to you but I think you're just gonna have to send me a bill <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to Kristen about that <laughs> all right so um and then so just to kind of wrap up COVID so then you you went remote and then you got to figure out how can you safely get them, get the students back, well, the students and the staff back, yeah. right? Uh, and so that in, that entailed a bunch of different things. First, you had to socially distance the classrooms or relocate classrooms into larger spaces. Uh, ventilation is has perennially been an issue yep. in most of our schools, so building maintenance has to come in and make some significant changes to the heating and ventilation systems, um, and, and then. You went on alternating schedules, right? Like students didn't report all at the same time. So once we started the hybrid, um, we did elementary was half days. So half the school came in the morning, half the school came in the afternoon. And at the secondary level, we had alternating days um, where they would do basically an one day on, one day off. Whenever they were off, they were virtual, though. So the elementary kids that were home for the half day still had virtually with teachers and same with the secondary folks on their off day. So they were in person, but when they weren't in person, they were always had virtual lessons going on. So it was still a full day instruction. All right. So last thing on the pandemic, and then we'll change gears and get to something um, because this (laughs) we've been talking about this for 18 months. Um, The uh, I completely lost my chain of thought. Oh, so the respiratory precautions, right? So one of the things that Lieutenant Traversa was tasked with during the, the, the peak of the pandemic was he was coordinating with public health so their contact tracers could, in, in keeping with full protection and privacy and, and not identifying any patients, but keep our first responders informed of places that they might respond for a medical call or or for a, a, a call for service a criminal call that they may need a higher level of personal protective equipment they may need to mask and glove up in order to go to those residences lieutenant traversa was working on the confidential respiratory precautions list mm-hmm. and after we had been doing that as force protection for a little while we realized that one obviously police fire and ems needed that but then we realized that um like building inspectors and health inspectors they also had to have some access so we put a protocol together so without actually having access to the list they could find out but then we realized that we had um a fairly up-to-date accurate geographically tagged list that could help you maintain surveillance for contact tracing in the school population. Right. Um, and so that became uh, an additional task, uh, not only for the lieutenant, but um, for our, our former cadet, Nick, who was working to uh, with health, got assigned to health, to kind of make sure that you knew what you needed to know so that 
if uh, residents had a potential exposure and there were students living in that residence that you could put some protocols in place again to protect the, the population. Yes. Just for our viewers and listeners, because no, no plan survives first contact and, and well-intentioned plans. So the, the number, the health department was unbelievable about keeping us informed and safe about what they could within the limits of the law. And so the, the locations that needed to go on the list went on fairly consistently. We did find out um, that just due to the overwhelming numbers, they didn't come off the list as quickly. Yeah, there were, we, we found that there were people on there that, you know, would tell us, you know, we used it a lot for home visits. We had staff going out to homes to either deliver school supplies or meet with families, school adjustment counselors. And, you know, that's where we wanted to make sure that they were going into houses that were safe. And we'd have families say, well, I've been cleared for the last two weeks. And, yeah. And, and so that uh, that did present a couple little hiccups when, like, wait a minute, you know, they they cleared quarantine 14 days ago, um, so we yeah. had to we had to do a little maintenance. <laughs> we 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 just ended up adding the date to, you know, the location so that we knew if it was you know two weeks past that date, it was likely that they were out of quarantine. Right. There, of course, there were situations where you know you'd have somebody in the house yeah. might. The cross-contamination. Yeah, right. it, so there, it might have extended because there's an overlap there. Right. But. Yeah, lar- larger families that have it slowly move through the family, unfortunately, end up being in that quarantine period a little bit longer. Yeah. You know, if they all get it at once, they're all out right. pretty quick. Yeah, but if, I mean, because Gina's going to be mad at me, but I think it was, you know, that initial... That initial exposure period was three days followed by an incubation period of seven days. So, I mean, theoretically, if somebody... If somebody in a residence was sick, but then another member of the residence didn't get sick for three days, you could really be, you could really be like twenty plus days out right. before that house could be cleared. All right, what chief? So, just before we get off the subject, one other um, task that you had, that you know, smaller task but still significant that, that we were involved in, Captain Grady was the laptop distribution. Oh yeah, that's right. And you know, so not only did you have the the equipment distribution, but I understand you had to scramble a little bit to provide internet to some families. Yeah, so we, we did almost at every school have um, one or two days where families could come to pick up their laptops, pick up hotspots. Um, hotspots took a little bit longer after our first shipment to come in to get the rest, and then we had to get those for families. And we still have families now coming in um, to get hotspots that didn't. They can come into Mercer. They can fill out the form and sign up for that. But, yeah, we had to coordinate some, some traffic support, um, some tents and things like that with with you guys um, for some of the schools just just to get that out because overwhelmingly there were larger spots in the city that needed the hot spots. There was some discussion at some at one point about putting hot spots in buses and sending buses to different parts of the city, but that still would make families come out, out. to those areas and um, so that kind of got pushed off and we just said no, we we got to just keep on buying hot spots and uh, Mr. Curtis was was on with tech and said just keep getting them in until we have enough to cover everybody that's going to need it we're going to end up with a pittsfield public school district mesh network in the city just using hot spots <laughs> <laughs> um so we got a couple minutes left before we have to go to station break and i just i want to wrap up with this because uh, this it's a it's a credit to the district but it's also a credit to the cooperation and collaboration that exists in the berkshires and in pittsfield in particular so at one point um I think it was last spring, 
kind of coming towards what the end of what normally would have been the school year. The Commonwealth rolled out this program for pool testing within school populations. And the Commonwealth, as the Commonwealth is wont to do, developed a plan without local input. And the decision was made that they were going to send crews out from EMS providers, essentially in the Boston area, to conduct testing uh, at two locations uh, for the Pittsfield Public Schools. Yep. And without getting into detail, let's just say it didn't go well. <laughs> took a little bit longer to get everybody through than, than anticipated, it took, it took for sure. took longer than estimated, and um, the bedside manner wasn't great. And the degree of frustration with the officers, commanders tasked with the traffic and security was high because we knew we could do it better. We just knew if they had just given us an objective and told us to go after the objective, we knew we could have come up with a better plan. And ultimately, you know, we didn't have anything to do with it, but our local EMS partners came up with a better plan, right? They implemented a better plan, um, which is still in place today, right? It it is still in place today. And I actually think that it was those two days and the feedback from those two days um, that allowed us to be able to work with county ambulance yeah. now from from the state they're a state approved subcontractor right. where they you know they weren't at the time um and i think the state's realizing that it's it's better for <clears throat> localities to use the resources in their area that they already have connections yeah. with the resources and the networks give us the objective give us the resources and get out of our way <laughs> right they just all respect to my my colleagues and counterparts from the eastern end of the state they don't understand they do not understand the relationships that exist out here that we've had to build over decades because we're oftentimes ignored right we're not included in the planning and so we have to come up with an alternative a third alternative and uh usually our alternatives are better i mean i'm i'm incredibly proud that not only that effort, but the intercoordinated EOC effort between North, South, and Central that we built mm-hmm. was recognized by MEMA and the governor's office as a model for state collaboration. Our large-scale vaccine clinics were held up as the gold standard of what should be done by communities. That's not an accident. That's years and years of networking and and coordination and collaboration and community building so shout out to us yeah and that was right from the start they recognized how great things were running out here this thing's not over but we're in better shape than a lot of other places in the commonwealth because of that cooperation all right let's get another check of the weather station break some psas then we'll come back and talk about something completely different WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Flash flood watch in effect until noon EDT today. Today, showers this morning, then partly sunny with a chance of showers with a slight chance of thunderstorms this afternoon. Highs in the upper 60s. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain near 100%. Tonight, partly cloudy. Cooler with lows in the upper 40s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Becoming northwest after midnight. Weather forecasts for WTBR FM are provided by the National Weather Service. Support for WTBR radar weather for the Pittsburgh area. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal. 
with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at Greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Support for WTBR comes from Sandrini Enterprises, providing awnings and canopies in western Massachusetts, retractable awnings, retractable screens, gutter and gutter protection systems, commercial awnings, and screen rooms. Customized solutions available online at Sandrini.com. UCP of Western Massachusetts is hiring. If you'd like to help people with different abilities lead independent lives, apply at ucpwma.org jobs. We need direct and living caregivers. Join the agency who's reimagining independence. Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Community College. BCC provides access to higher education to everyone in Berkshire County and beyond, offering more than 50 high-quality programs, small class sizes, and an affordable education to help their students of all ages achieve their dreams. At BCC, their middle name is Community. And from County Ambulance, providing quality, professional, efficient medical care and medical transportation services to the citizens of Berkshire County. Online at countyamb.com. Welcome back to On Patrol, the PPD. Uh, just a little uh, plug here for Festival Latino of the Berkshires, which is going to be held uh, Saturday, September 25th, this coming Saturday, 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, Great Bearing, Barrington Town Hall in the St. James Place Theater. I'm sorry, there was a little more descriptors here last week. Um, about what was going on, but uh, I think it's uh, that's the gist of it. One time, two separate and simultaneous events. Lieutenant, check your mic levels. I'll check all of our mic levels. You're not hearing me well? I got you now. Okay. All right. Um, so, Lieutenant, when we get back to the station this morning, we're going to have to write up a disciplinary finding for Officer Winston. He's asleep on duty. <laughs> He's, no comment. He, he's <laughs> out cold. <laughs> All right. So welcome back to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM. To, if you're just joining us, today is Friday, September 24th, 2021. My name is Mike Wynn. I'm the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield, one of the co-hosts of this radio program. Joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traverse, a cops bureau commander who's running the board. And we have been talking with Mr. Eric Lamoureux from the Pittsfield Public School District. He is the district emergency and safety coordinator. We've been talking about how the district managed to pivot to continue to provide high quality education to students during the pandemic. Well, we talked about that for about half an hour, so we're going to change gears here. So let's spend a couple minutes, just a couple minutes, right. because frankly, I'm tired of it. Just talking about the work that we had to do prior to the pandemic and sort of during the pandemic about the school resource officer mm -hmm. program. So school resource officers are back in the school. Um, I guess technically the terms are we are on a one year um, like pilot and evaluation program yes. to determine the uh, need and the desire uh, to continue the program. If you're not familiar, Pittsfield has had some type of school resource officer program since 1989 that's the year after i graduated from high school so we've been there for a long time um but for reasons that we don't need to get into today we've talked about them on previous episodes uh, there was some questions raised last year about whether we should have officers in the schools at all uh, but largely because of the pandemic we couldn't really have 
the robust debate that this required. So we kind of hit pause and we maintained the status quo for a year with the new memorandum of understanding that's required under both the attorney general's recommendations and the police reform law. So, right. you know, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of editing. <laughs> it was a lot of frustration. Um, but we're there, right? So Officer McMahon and Officer Godfrey are in the schools, in the secondary schools, covering the secondary schools. So we've got Officer Godfrey covering Herberg and Pittsfield High School yep. and Officer McMahon covering Reed and Taconic High School. Yes. So um, you actually interact with the school resource officers quite a bit. Like yeah. you, you were actually with Officer McMahon earlier this week. I was. Um, so just, you know, from the district's perspective, how's that going? Um, you know, so far the year is off to, to a good start. Um, I know in years past we've, we've had four resource officers, and we have the two this year, so they do split time one day on, one day off. Um, at their schools, and obviously, if there's um, a situation or a need, you know they they hop in their cars and get over to the other school. Um, but th- th- as far as we've seen so far, they're they're well receptive, uh, well received in the building. Um, they're out and about making connections, um, being support people during during lunch and just outside. Um, I know outside the other day at at Taconic, um, students eat eat outside unlike uh you know they don't have the luxury like pittsfield high school of being able to go to some local off eateries um but they do get to go sit outside and enjoy the nice weather and along with um some teachers and some administrators you know andy was out there just you know chatting and and meeting the students you know forming those relationships i know just does uh, a great job of that over at, at phs as well um you know it, it is a one-year agreement um the superintendent and you both both signed the MOU for the year, and the superintendent has committed um, to the school committee that will do um, an outside, he'll hire an outside agency to really come in and look at our school resource program um, and and how that's run in our district specifically and do get a report back of, of anything that needs to change or be tweaked um, before next year starts. Do we have any idea what the timeline to start that study is? I know he's been reaching out to try to find the right agency to come in. Last I knew, we did not have anybody officially hired to come in, but he did feel strongly that it should be um, an independent, independent outside of the district come in to do that evaluation. Can't argue with that. All right, that's enough about the school resource officers for now. We'll get back to that as that independent uh, review occurs, and uh, we'll get the SROs in for some episodes and future dates. So. The next thing I want to talk about, and I think this this won't be, I mean, it, we're all, intimate, the three of us are intimately involved in this, but this isn't something that gets spoken about um, outside of the, the implementation team, really. And I think it's something that would probably be surprising to most of our viewers and listeners. So uh, in your capacity as the district safety and emergency and safety coordinator, you're also responsible for physical security in uh in 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 and around the schools yes and when we talk about physical security in and around the schools that's things like cameras and access controls and um avenues of approach and 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 all that other stuff that has to do with how we keep a a school safe and secure and i don't you know i didn't realize this until i was a chief and i don't think most people really think about this so the the district although it is 
part and parcel of the city of Pittsfield, it's, it's actually an independent entity, right? It's a separate entity with a separate budget. And so the superintendent oversees the district and, you know, is it t- takes direction from the school committee. That's a parallel entity to the mayor and the city council that runs the municipal side. Yes. So the municipal side and the school side, separate budget, separate revenue streams. Um, and then we are, are closely, closely integrated. One of the things that as a result of that separation of silos, one of the things is that each of us has our own information technology and tech departments. Mm-hmm. And up until several years ago, those departments didn't necessarily speak, which was weird because when I got department email for the first time, it was a district email address. Like you, you hooked us up and gave us email, but we didn't actually get tech support from you. It didn't make any sense. Um, but the other thing it meant was we didn't talk about security considerations. So the district would implement security improvements and we would find out about them after the fact. And it led to some, well, it led to some problems. Like during an emergency, we couldn't get into a building. And I remember when I became the chief telling the previous building maintenance director, I'm not worried about you giving me access to these buildings because in an emergency, we're coming in if we have to drive a cruiser through the door. And he's like, it's just going to cost you a lot more to fix the building than it is to give us access, right? Um, But the Taconic project presented a unique opportunity Mm -hmm. for us to fix that. Um, And so as a result of the Taconic project, you know, I, I... I had a tantrum and I banged the table like a recalcitrant child. And I finally said, no new construction or large scale renovations in the city goes forward unless the planning team talks to building maintenance, to the, you know, the entity that's responsible, building maintenance, police and fire. And we're all on the same page when it comes to safety and security. Yep. And as a result of that, we managed to, um, they're kind of change orders almost we managed to reach some agreement and consensus and do some changes in the taconic project that have now become the model for additional projects and renovation we're actually looking at now some safety and security changes at city hall but they'll all be done the same way and they'll all be done on the same systems and they'll all be done with if not identical at least compatible hardware so that a safety and security change that goes on in an independent school will be integrated not only with Taconic, but also with City Hall and any other municipal building that we do security improvements on. So we're not, we're not using competing vendors. We're not looking at competing product, uh, product. We're not finding out that systems are incompatible, which was the case uh, when, when we what was going that was what was going to happen with Taconic. We were going to end up with cameras and access control that were incompatible with the systems we were using elsewhere. Right. Um, and so now we have an integrated safety and security plan when it comes to surveillance, CCTV, and access control. Um, and as of last week, they they integrated the access control fobs, right? Yeah, within the last couple of weeks, and um, I actually went into one of the buildings uh earlier this week and it was uh smooth as smooth as anything just you know, so the farm and getting right in so again for our listeners and viewers at home this may you know, this may not may not sound like a big deal but what that means is the same prox card access card that gets a on-duty police officer into the station 
gets them into a school. Yes. Uh, and it also means that if we receive video from the district, we can play it back at the station without having to go through hoops of downloading different codexes or having a different machine that we're looking at the same stuff as, and we're looking at our own video. So that's been a significant change. Yep. We're, we're nearing the end of that, of that upgrade project. Um, every, every school now, um, will, will be matched up with that current fob system. Um, that's almost complete. We're they're they're finishing installing the new door entry cameras, and access points um, due to, I guess everybody says it's due to COVID now, but there's been shipping delays um, and manufacturing delays in some of the items that we needed. So that project that was hopefully going to be done for the start of this school year is still slowly, uh, slowly trying to get completed. Um, but it'll be a, a really nice new system for, for getting in the building. All doors will be secured, um, staff. PPD, PFD, city maintenance will all have access to the doors that they need just with that one fob um, instead of running around trying to find keys to get in and, and whatnot. And the other part about it is instead of every building controlling their own entry system, which has always been the case, it'll be one central location for the district and then one central location for the city, and they talk to one another. Right. And, and just so from a... From a safety and security planning point of view, and, and I got to give a shout out here, um, City IT Director Mike Stebbin, who was originally the PPD IT Director, and then um, we kind of elevated him and, and to the city position so he could integrate these types of systems. Uh, when Mike worked for us, he had a conversation with me. He was like, this, it doesn't have to be this complicated. So when Eric says that there'll be one integrated point of entry uh, for the district and one integrated point of entry into these systems for the city. Um, it's not it's not in a standalone system. So the previous thing that we all worked with is this thing called Hubman. Oh. And all Hubman did was control the doors. So now the doors are integrated with the cameras and the cameras are integrated with essentially, and I'm not a computer guy, so you know, Michael, if he's listening, he'll scold me and correct me on my way to the office. But it's tied into the Active Directory. Yes. So what that means is if, let's say, for example, we let an employee go today, we don't have to go take them out of the FOB system, take them out of the, the parking system, take them out of email, take them out of Munis. We go to one place. We say this employee is inactive. They instantly lose building access. They lose email access. They lose access to SharePoint. They're no longer in our systems. We can do it at the point that we tell them to leave the building, we can do it before they get to the building. So if we have a disgruntled employee who found out that they were going to be disciplined, they can't get in, right? So that, that was a major and significant improvement. Um, and if, frankly, I'm, I'm grateful because the way that it was, we, you know, we, we were just lucky, right? Somebody was going to get hurt. Uh, so that's a significant improvement. This is a complete digression. It's a very serious topic. But you were talking about how, you know, the vendors were saying, oh, because of COVID, we can't get the, you know, the procurement. I was listening to a radio story on the way in here um, from our friends Slater and Marge over at 95.9. And Slater was sharing a news article that apparently due to um, production woes and transportation woes and um, cost increases due to increased demand, um, adult beverages are now a scarcity. And the state of Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania just put a rationing limit 
on on adult beverages. Oh. <laughs> That's serious. <laughs> Last year was uh, toilet paper rush. This year will be adult adult beverage rush. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring back bootlegging and moonshining if that's true. Uh, did I say that out loud on our police radio show? Uh, profanity delay. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> if it's below ten gallons, it's okay now, right? Yeah. Um. All right. So let's shift to another topic here really quickly. Uh, three years working with you, a long, long time, even before I was the chief with your predecessor, Miss um, Alicia Kuchier. Yes. And I, I, you know, there are projects and programs going on between the district, between the police department, between the fire department, all the time. Um, and again, some, you know, some of these things, unless you have students in the district, you may not even, this wouldn't even be on your radar. But a couple critical examples, um, the district made some internal changes a few years ago now as far as identifying people on the faculty, on the staff, who um, would be willing to take on some additional responsibilities mm -hmm. with things like being identified as somebody who was first responder trained or could provide CPR, was comfortable with an AED, take the stop to bleed training. Yep. Uh, the fire department wrote and procured a grant essentially to get, and I don't even, I'm not even sure how we would describe them, that basically their their collections of the individual treatment kits like our personnel carry on themselves it's just a bag of like 80 of them or something like that uh so it, it's they're basically trauma response kits yep there was and, one for every building yeah and they put one in every building previous to that um alicia worked with our representatives and within every classroom essentially is a is a go bag an accountability go bag so in the event of an evacuation whether it's a fire drill or mm -hmm. a weather related emergency or intruder in the building uh the responsible adult teacher or aide or para in that room has this bag ready to go usually in close proximity to the desk or the door and when they follow the protocols to get out of the building inside the bag is a kit for yep. them to make sure they got everybody um you know if there's somebody fell on the stairs or whatever there's some basic first aid supplies in there uh, yeah we have uh each ba each bag contains a mini first aid kit usually a sharpie um in case they have to write something down um the elementary bags include those uh little tiny fold-up blankets space blankets for, for, for warming yep. that uh we have had to use on occasion for an, an accidental fire alarm at the bad time of year and you you look out there, and we have our little uh, kindergartners and first graders wrapped up in those blankets until the the building is cleared to come back in. Like the marathon blankets, they look like a baked yep. potato. Yep. And then uh, and then everyone is supposed to have a green or red card in there, which basically when they evacuate the building, green goes up if you have everybody accounted for, red goes up if you don't, and then we we find out where they are in the building. There used to be a couple other things that were included in there, like flashlights and things like that. Um, but looking at budgets and the fact that probably in almost every situation there would be daylight, daylight when we're in the school we you know we didn't continue to replace those um and then and then a class roster that they're supposed to at least update monthly with updated phone numbers and contact information for parents and and so again if if you're not involved in this and th this is a constant process that goes on back and forth between the district and the pd and the fd and it, it's all under the radar. And you have you know two planned meetings a year to get on the same page about these things, plus interim meetings when issues come up. But it 
this stuff doesn't happen by chance. It's it's all deliberate, and uh, you know, really, it unfortunately it goes back. It got I. I was new on the team, so we're going back to like 97, 98, um, when we started scouting schools and planning our responses to schools in the event of an armed intruder. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we start having conversations and I have these, I, I talk about these old conversations with people to this day and people are astounded about some of the stuff that, um, we had to deal with it. We had to think about in some cases we had to fight over. And so, for example, um, in Massachusetts, actually it's national building code now, right? Uh, in school buildings, it's, it's a violation of the building code and the fire code for the classroom doors to be locked, right? It's, it, it's just, it's been that way because of the risk of fires in schools. Well, you know, that's great, but if the more persistent threat is an armed intruder and we're telling the teachers lock the door and the teacher's telling me I can only lock the door if I step out into the hallway and put the key in the lock, well, that's going to be problematic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, again, this stuff doesn't happen anymore. We've made significant improvements since, which we won't talk about because we don't give away capabilities. But I remember back in 98 and 99, not only telling, but in some cases providing teachers with door stops. And saying, if that if that alert alert is given out, slam this thing under the door. We'll get here. And uh, you know, we would go in one day and we'd hand out the door stops, and the fire department would come through the next day on a building inspection. And they'd take them away. Um, things like sliding magnets into the lock set and telling yep. the teacher, you know, keep the door locked, but the magnet will keep the door. You know, when the fire department gets here, it'll feel like the door is open. And then in an emergency, pull the magnet out. Um, fortunately, we've made changes to the doors, and we've made you know, there's been changes to the code as well. But these are the kinds of conversations that had to happen on a regular basis. Um, and then it advances from there where, you know, we'll come and we'll do walkthroughs on the buildings and the campuses and just say, you know what, this we could do this better. We could do this differently. Put this over here. Put that class in there. Um, and it's unfortunate we have to have these conversations, but we do, right? Because in we the do. event of an emergency, we want to be prepared. And... Uh, the good news is that although we're, you know, hoping for the best and preparing for the worst, when something not quite so bad happens, we're in a better position to respond because of the work we put in. Um, every school has a uh, evacuation plan, but they also have a relocation plan, right? In yes. the event that the emergency goes long term, they're, they're going to relocate to an offsite location. And that gets drilled on yep. a regular basis. And because it gets drilled on a regular basis, when God help us, we actually have to do it. Um, everybody's familiar with it. So I know a few years ago, we had a um, suspicious device call at Reed, and it was going to go on beyond the scope of the ability to kind of just resolve it right there. So we had to relocate the student body. Um, they had to hike down the hill. Yep. And uh, it actually was going to go on past the end of the school day. And so we had drilled it, and we, we managed to get the students down to their relocation, which was down at St. Charles. But when we decided that, you know, this is it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna cancel school for the day because this is going to take us past this missile time. Um, we found a problem in the plan. And the, the, the plan had been that, okay, if they, if they move to their relocation site and this decision is made, call school bus operations, and school bus operations will send the school buses, and they'll take them to this location for family reunification. 
And the only problem was, at the time we made that call, the buses were out on their high school routes. Yep. They weren't available to us. Uh, and say, okay, you know, nobody planned for that. It's, it's easy if we have that plan early in the day, but if all of a sudden it gets to the point where the school bus drivers have gotten on their buses and now they're headed to their high schools, what's the plan for the rest of the school day, in this case in the middle schools and elementary schools? So we had to retool the plan. The other thing that came out that day, and I didn't realize this, you know, Tavian had been out of school for a long time at that point. Um, students start eating lunch at really, really early odd hours. And they eat until very, very late odd hours, depending on how lunches are. Yeah, st- the secondary schedule, yeah. it's, it's yeah. really drawn out because of the number of kids. And that particular day, we evacuated those students and they hadn't eaten. So now that was another consideration, right? And fortunately, uh, St. Charles was very, very generous. Um, but we, you know, just it's because we have these conversations on a regular basis that little hiccups like that aren't tragedies. They're they're just learning points. All right, and it's that that that's the important thing about drilling. Yeah, is is to do that so we can find where we're where we're missing things and do drills throughout the day. Right. And that's what I emphasize to the, the principal um, of the schools and their teams. Don't drill when it's convenient. Yeah. Don't drill at 9.30 every morning right. for your, you know, your shelter in place because it's easy. What happens if that happens in the middle of lunch? Like you just said, what's the plan yeah. going to be? We have to come up with that plan. And I know it frustrates your principals, and the, the pandemic gave us kind of a break from this because everything was different. But you know, we've had conversations since you started about um, getting to the point where we're executing drills without advance warning, mm-hmm. right? That the, the holy grail of preparedness is the three of us can show up at a school and say, implement this plan now, and they can pull it off. And we'll get there. Yep. Right? We will get there. Um, so all this stuff that we're talking about that you do, up until this year you did... Kind of an, on a part-time, part-time. basis. <laughs> Correct. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad, and I'm, as I'm sure you are, that, that you're able to, to commit full-time to it. And you know, it's, Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I, you know, I said to Alicia, you know, when we were talking after she left, you know, and I got in the role, she really only did it a half day to maybe a day a week. And I said, I have no idea how you did this all these years. Um, and my first year, I was the dean at, at Allendale for three years, and I did the emergency stuff for two days. Um, and then it, it was talked about expanding anyways, and then COVID hit, so there were more responsibilities, and it became full-time. But there are a ton of things that we're working on right now. Um, you know, a, a project, once, once our safety upgrade happens with the doors and the cameras, another thing you and I have talked about is a, a door mapping or a, a school mapping plan for doors and windows. And that's kind of next on my list that I want. I know. have good news on that front. Oh, all right. Yeah. Commonwealth's going to kick some money up through EOPS. They've, they've selected a vendor to do that. We're getting, we're getting CERG, that, that team we met with. They're going to be a state-sponsored vendor. Great. That's yeah. great, yeah. yeah. For, for, you know, for first responders, PD um, and FD, both, they got to know where they're going when they come to the building. Yeah. All right, we're just about out of time. This this went fast. You've been tuning in to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Our guest this morning has been Mr. Eric Lamoureux from the Pittsfield Public School District. Thanks for being here this morning, Eric. Honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Any plans for the weekend? Nothing exciting this weekend. Lieutenant stay plans dry. for the weekend? Yeah, yeah. right, stay dry. <laughs> All right, join us next, next week for another new episode. We'll be back. Well, I won't be back. The lieutenant will be back. Um, until then... 
be well, stay safe, and be kind. We're 10-8.